surprises, I'm, I'm sure. Only, Kay, that it's, um, you know, proving my point uh, that college football has plenty of parity. It's just well, the system we have um, doesn't allow for the fans to understand it or see it until after uh, they, they actually plays out on Saturdays. You know, um, people will say, well, this or that team is bad, and it's a, a bottom feeder in uh, this or that league when we see teams like Georgia State do what they did, Wyoming, uh, Nevada do what they did. Uh, and that's just such a cop-out. Uh, with the 85 scholarship limit and uh, really good coaching uh, at a lot of different levels and a lot of different schools, uh, these teams get next to no credit. They they get their checks as they're leaving. And in the case of um, Georgia State, they get nine hundred and fifty thousand and and the W, and they walk out of um, they walk out of Knoxville with a victory. This happens every year. Uh, the the names of the teams may change, uh, and the teams that are the upset victims in the power conferences may change. Uh, but but it remains. And um, for whatever reason. Uh, the mainstream media, when I say mainstream media, I want people to understand, I'm talking about not the Big Ten Network, not the SEC Network, not the ACC Network. I'm talking about Fox, FS1, um, and ESPN. If you're watching any of the daytime programming, uh, you hardly hear, you wouldn't even know who these kids are. You, you wouldn't know who Dan Ellington, have you heard Dan Ellington's name of Georgia State mentioned really uh, at all, either... No, I haven't. Uh, yesterday or today? No, no, because the lazy butts that are in, in, in daytime sports media don't want to, to to discuss incredible stories and what Elliot has done as head coach. That's an amazing story. What a two and ten team in the Sun Belt just did. Uh, that wasn't some sort of mirage uh, where the the, the robots uh, that were playing for Georgia State. Uh, you know, just cleaned up on a Tennessee team that didn't dare. They were physically whipped in the second half. Um, I mean, that's they were getting yardage on the ground in chunks. They were gashing Tennessee. Yeah. Um, but that's the world we live in today, Coach. Um, uh, we've got a we've got a, a system uh, that, which basically tells America we only need to care about four or five teams. Did Clemson romp? Yes. Did Alabama romp? Yes. Uh, did the others and uh, all the other big teams? That's all that we care about. We don't care about college football as a whole. And college football as a whole is uh, is alive and well with a lot of good teams, and anything can happen. But but is it? But but, but does it matter that anything is happening when we only have four teams at the end of the year, and we all know who they'll likely be? a cobble of maybe six or seven teams that are trying to get to those four spots, then some of these amazing stories from weeks one and two, these non-conference uh, games that, that have, in my opinion, um, you know, that, that, that's really what's great about college football. You know, with a 28-point, 35-point underdog can win. You don't see that in the NFL. You don't even see teams favored like that in pro football. Um, but, but it's always swept under the rug. Because uh, God, for, you know, God forbid anybody in the media have to work, you know, to find out more and tell us some stories about these guys that are pretty incredible stories at, at all of these different schools that people don't follow on a regular basis. 
Oh, that that is very very interesting, uh, Tim. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, you make some excellent points there. We should uh, the NCAA should have you out on tour, <laughs> my friend. <laughs> well, you know it's um it's really unfortunate. You know, I was thinking Bino Cook, uh, my friend and a guy I learned a lot of sports history from, who was with me on the original game day. Bino was a tremendous publicist. Uh, worked at Pittsburgh um, yeah. in the 50s and 60s, and then went on to become a uh, Rune Arledge's right-hand man at ABC, and he was the guy that got the Arkansas-Texas game moved from September to uh, Thanksgiving weekend in 1968, which led to the game of the century when uh, President Nixon was on hand. Uh, you know, he you know, had an appreciation and understanding of, of the history of the game and what that history should mean and incredible stories. Uh, and, and he would lock on to, for instance, I'll, I'll give you an example. Do you remember the quarterback at Holy Cross back in 1986? He finished, I think it was third or fourth in the Heisman, Gordy Lockbaum. Do you remember that? Yes, name? I do. I, yes, I do. Well, but one of the reasons why America had to meet Gordy Lockbaum was because Dino Cook was in the offices in Bristol telling the, every one of those guys, we kind of do a story on Gordy Lockbaum, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, in, in today's world, a player of that caliber at a school like that, no one would ever meet because no one wants to tell the story. No one wants to take the time to tell the story. Uh, and and you know that's to me what separates college football. And we're beginning to lose that coach. We're beginning to lose that based on all that matters is who's in and who's not. Uh, like today, I, I wake up and I'm hearing after week one of this group, you know, uh, Tua Tagovailoa, uh, Jalen Hurts, uh, Justin Fields, who's in the best position for the Heisman doubting? Oh you yeah, me? Heisman is big deal. I mean, are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, I, that is as, as absurd a talking point to have. And the reason why it's there is because it's easy. You know, it's low hanging fruit. Uh, no one wants to put in the time and effort to tell the stories of some of these uh, amazing uh, kids that went out and played their butts off last week and did the, the unthinkable. Uh, or, or even the story about how in the world did Missouri wind up scheduling? Okay, why would they have even scheduled a game at Wyoming? <laughs> <You know? laughs> why would you do that to yourself? You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, that doesn't shock me too much about uh, Missouri. I think Missouri, you talk about a team that was overblown this year, in my opinion, my humble opinion, it was Missouri. Yeah, but uh, no, I'm, I'm with you there. But, but it, it definitely, if you look at what Alabama does with its schedule, what, what Clemson does with its schedule, you know, athletic directors and coaches need to understand there's just some games you don't want to play. Yeah. You know, yeah. why in the world would you be flying out there? I mean, that's an upset waiting to happen. You got to sure. know that. Sure, it is. <laughs> Absolutely, it is. Especially to go on the road and play them is bad yeah. enough playing them at yeah. home and giving them the big uh, money to come in. Uh, yeah. You know, you know, uh, Tim. Going going back, I still uh, feel lost without you being in the uh, studio on Saturday every <laughs> Saturday uh, with SEC football primarily, CBS, and uh, uh, how do you? Now that you've had a few years away from it, and I know you wanted to get back into the game, more into the game itself, 
How do you right, um, I want it to be a booth. I want it out of that studio. As much as you enjoyed me being there, I want it out. Yeah, I don't know why they just, just didn't just move you, being an old SEC guy, move you to Atlanta <laughs> or Birmingham or, or Baton Rouge or somewhere. But uh, anyway, how do you uh, how do you assess what you're you're doing now? Are you enjoying it? Oh God, yes, yeah, I love it. Uh, now this will be one of those weeks where uh, people will say to me, "You know what happened?" Because I'm doing the Penn State Buffalo game. A Buffalo, by the way, is a hell of a story. And I, I really look forward to that game because the old coach from Wisconsin, Whitewater, uh, Lance Leipold, who used to always go up against uh, Mount uh, Mount Union and uh, the Division Three mm-hmm. uh, National Championship, uh, his his Buffalo team last year won won more games than they ever won. They now they lost their bowl game, but they won ten games, which was amazing. They haven't been playing uh, college football there for very long. Uh, and they're going into Penn State in prime time uh, on Fox, Big Fox, on Saturday night. We'll be on opposite, obviously, the LSU-Texas uh, game. And, I, and I'll get this, you know, Bob Brando, you know, we needed you there, and why, why aren't you doing that again? I'm like, well, you know, because I'm, I'm at Fox, and we have a deal with the Big Ten, the Big 12, and the Pac-12. And, uh, you know, I just want to do games. I don't care where they are. I just want to do games. And, um when I was at CBS, Vern was there, and it looked like he was going to stay there forever. And so uh, I was um, I was maybe a little impatient, uh, but but I left. And when I did, uh, uh, Vern left a, a short time after that. But games are games, Coach. You know, yeah. where, where they're being played. The art form of getting to call uh, football in the booth is just such a fun thing. and That's what I grew up wanting to do. The studio was great to me, and it played a huge role in my career with the advent of game day, and I mentioned that time I spent with Bino and all that. But uh, I just felt like, I'm, at the time, this was this is my sixth year at Fox, so I would have been uh, about to turn 58 uh, when um, I left CBS. And I feel like I've got a new lease on life. I've got a lot of energy and enthusiasm because I really love what I'm doing. Um, yeah. Going back and forth to New York every week, which was what I was doing at CBS, uh, you know, that's with all due respect to the Big Apple, not really football country. You know, no. it's not really college football country. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. when I go into Happy Valley, when I go into Happy Valley, or last Friday, I was in, um, I was in uh, East Lansing, Michigan, and I'll be back there for a game with Arizona State next week, which I think is going to be a hell of a game on Fox a week from Saturday. Uh, that that's always fun, uh, and um, so it's. Um, you know, the job description of what I'm doing now is so much more enjoyable than what I've been doing in the studio all those years. So uh, where the games are may be a greater consequence to the viewer than it is to the broadcaster. For the broadcaster, it's getting to do it. Where yeah. you're doing it doesn't matter quite as much as uh, a lot of fans might think. Well, you've done a great job at the studio, Tim, obviously, and you're, you're doing a great job. And I'm, I'm happy that you're uh, they're very pleased with what you're doing now. Uh, let me let me jump to uh, quickly. Uh, I had uh, an awful lot of interest in the Oregon Auburn game, yeah. Primarily yeah. because you get a chance to see a Pac-12 uh, team that has some uh, some hype coming in with a quarterback mm-hmm. that uh, has been hyped that you don't get to see very much, and um, an Auburn team with a, with a young quarterback, but. Uh, at any rate, the, the very interesting football game. I thought the outcome, uh, 
is fairly significant of that ball game. Thought Oregon. Oh, yeah. Oregon's a good football team. They're not a bad football team, and and probably should have won that ball game. Yeah, yeah. They outplayed Auburn. Uh, I I thought I thought the old offensive line coach. It's it's what Mario Cristobal is. I thought that really showed up in the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, you got Justin Herbert, who's likely to be if he's not the first quarterback taken in the draft, he'll certainly be in the top two or three. And he quarter he coached. Uh, his Oregon offense as though the freshmen were Herbert as opposed to the freshman being Bo Nix uh, at Auburn. Auburn allowed Bo Nix to be the leader and to take the opportunities and go for it in a manner that Cristobal would not allow his quarterback uh, in the fourth quarter. Now, I do think there was one major uh, bad break that went Oregon's way that has kind of been forgotten about, and that was uh, when they needed uh, a yard on fourth down, Herbert uh, had gotten banged up, and if you recall, he wanted to get him back into the game. He took a timeout, and he actually thought, I think Cristobal thought, after taking the timeout, he could put him back in to run the fourth down play. Well, you can't do that. By rule, uh, he's out of the game. You've got to, he's got to be out for one play. Well, that, yeah. that, that meant he was going to have to run uh, one of his running backs into the line, and it was a very predictable play. He lined up strong left, he ran left, and Auburn was ready for it. You know, Kevin Steele was absolutely ready for it. I think everyone knew uh, what Cristobal was going to do. Uh, that was a bad break that went against Oregon at, a, at a, a critical time. But if you look back at the way they were running out their offense in the first half, and yeah, look, they blew scoring opportunities, missed field goals, and uh, missed opportunities in the first half. When you do that, it's almost you've coached enough games, you know that. At some point, the opposition has a better chance to come back and get you, and that's what happened. But they were not nearly as inventive or as creative with their play calling in the, in the latter stages of the third and fourth quarter as they were in the first and second. And, Kay, I thought that was where Auburn, again, I, I give Malzahn, Gus didn't have his best day, his first day calling plays again, but he was back to who he really is in the latter stages of that game. And I think he had confidence uh, in his freshman quarterback in a manner that Mario Cristobal did not have in his veteran quarterback who could have easily uh, opted out and gone to the NFL this year. Let me tell you one of the great things from a coaching standpoint, Tim, and I mean it's right at the top of the list, to see especially a young quarterback, a freshman, have the poise and the confidence yeah. at, uh, and at the end of a big ball game like that to come come in. Now, he had to make at least two of those throws had to be right on the money. And yep. I'm talking about he had to place the dime out there. And he did it and did it in a most uh, competitive situation. Uh, he did. He did. And, and, you know, he had a couple of uh, – Mistakes early, uh, some oh, yeah. interception. Yeah, and, and uh, you, you you think sometimes when that happens to a freshman, particularly on that stage, he could be a little shell shocked. Uh, he was every bit Patrick Nix's son. You know, he was a coach's son yeah. on the field, and 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 Gus understood that, uh, knew that as a play caller, he had to have amnesia because his quarterback had amnesia, and to me, that was the difference in the game. I. I applaud the kid, but I also applaud Gus 
uh, for understanding that this 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 was an opportunity not just for the young man to have a seminal moment uh, in his career, but but for the long term, what this could do for Auburn, uh, we can't calculate that now. Oh, I mean, can't. we just can't. That's right. I mean, I, I, the potential for what this this young man may do because of the success at the end of that game. I, that's one of the reasons why I told a lot of people, even with Auburn's difficult schedule, and it is incredibly difficult, especially when compared to, say, Alabama's in their own state and in their own division. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you cannot discount what this means for Auburn because of the confidence level it's going to give this young man and his team towards the young man, you know, in terms of yeah. the ability to go out and make plays. If they had just played for the field goal to win the game by two, I think everyone would have understood, but I think that Gus, he, he, this is where having a second year $49 million contract and a hellacious buyout may, may actually work in your favor. Uh, he, he, well. he decided, you know what, I'm going to give this young man a chance to win it with his arm and make a play. Uh, and what that means is this, they weren't just trying to win this game. They were trying to send a message to their team about what they can accomplish this season. And uh, look out, I'm telling you, Auburn could be one of those. It could be this. It could be like 2013 all over again for them. I mean, yeah, that could, could be that could be the catalyst that uh, you, you never know. Something like that, they, they tend to uh, they tend to rally round and and it creates a momentum that that you can't build otherwise. You can't do it with uh, an awful lot of verbiage or whatever. You got to have something like that happen. And uh, I will, uh, I will say this was a good, a great stroke for Gus because, uh, I, I, frankly, I don't think he did a good job uh, there two years ago. And I'll give you a little uh, build up to it. Mm-hmm. Two years ago, talking to uh, some of my friends out there, uh, scouts and coaches, mm-hmm. whatever, when Stidham uh, agreed to go to Auburn uh, from Baylor, right, and. Um, Everything I heard was, uh, this kid is the real deal. He he's everything you want in a quarterback. He's going to be a heck of a heck of a steal for Auburn. Well, Auburn never ever utilized Stidham in the way that he was most ready to help them. And uh, if you look at what he's doing now up there with New England, uh, it's just unbelievable. He is the yeah. real deal, and uh, but yeah. I, I think they yeah. misused uh, Stedham the whole way. Well, I, I'm I'm with you, and and I'll honestly tell you, I think that Gus Malzahn is a much better coach when he's calling his plays. I think he's much more engaged. I think it's who he is. Uh, he's not, uh, in, you know, a lot of coaches believe once they become head coaches and start making all this money. And I think a lot of times fans are, are are responsible for this. It's like, well, you know, he's he's taking too much, put too much on his plate. He's not going to be as good. Now listen, I I think for Malzahn, whether he wants to admit it or not, okay, I think he is so much more hands on when he is actively involved in the play. Now, you may not you may not be uh, happy with every call that he makes, but because he's making those calls, he's truly engaged and. Uh, Maybe, maybe that should have been going on with Jerry. You know, maybe that should have been the because I know some of these guys that were working for him. Chip Lindsey didn't just fall off some turnip truck, yeah. but he wouldn't let it do its job. 
you know, he was he was hovering over him, and and I don't I think there was uh, everybody kind of was walking around on eggshells based on everyone I talked to. Well, I always call my own my own plays. I always did it myself. Uh, yeah, no question. I, I think that. certain coaches. I think certain coaches need to do that. Uh, I really do. I believe Mark Rick would have been a better head coach had he continued to call his own plays. I mean, his best work was done when he was working for Bowden at Florida State. His absolute best work. Yeah. You know, and Dirk, there are, you know, Gus is not the only example. I just think a lot of times when the coaches go to the so called bigger school and it's more high profile and there's more on their plate to do that's non football related, um, because a lot of these big programs, it, it, it is a lot to take on. They feel like they have to delegate. And, and delegating is a, art form too but if you know yourself you know what makes you a better coach and that in in, in your mind if that's play calling then you need to keep doing that that's that's in your best interest steve spurrier is the last i think coach uh if memory serves me correctly he's the last head coach to win a national championship calling his own plays and i can't imagine steve not calling his own plays (laughs) oh yeah yeah i mean I just cannot imagine that. Well, that's true. Uh, of course, Jimbo, uh, I think Jimbo Fisher calls his plays, too. Yeah, maybe Jimbo did. Yeah, uh, maybe Jimbo did call his, too. That's right. I forgot that one. I forgot that season. I apologize. Got some but, interesting games but coming. There aren't many. Uh, I've, but there aren't many, Coach. No, you're right. You're right. There are very, very few. And it takes, it takes a lot of time, a lot of extra time to prepare to call a ball game. I can tell you that. And, uh, but yeah. you, you yeah. hey, if if you're going to get blamed for it one way or the other, you might as well do it. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, let me let me. I, I'm I'm keeping you on here a long time, and I apologize for that, Tim. But uh, my goodness, we could go for a couple of hours. <laughs> uh, let me let me ask you about this week coming up here because we got a really a couple of uh, a couple of uh, big ones, truly big ball games coming up this weekend. Yeah, you know, uh, don't think that when I'm calling that, that Penn State game in prime time, I won't have a dangling eye on the monitor in there on the LSU Texas game because I will. During commercial breaks, I'll be asking about it and looking over at it. We'll have a screen in there so I can check it out. Um, in addition to that, the Texas A&M Clemson game is obviously huge. And I think really because Clemson doesn't have an opponent on their schedule in the ACC that's uh, nearly as talented as A&M. So, you know, how, how Mond uh, responds as quarterback on the road in a big game. I, I think they should draw some confidence, Texas A&M, from how close they played them uh, last year in College Station. Uh, but the difference, I think, for this Clemson team uh, now versus even then is uh, the emergence of Travis Etienne as an unbelievable back. I, Coach, I don't know about you, but just watching some of that game with Georgia Tech on Thursday night, a little bit of it. I don't know if you were able to get the ACC network or not, but I, yeah. I did skip a little bit of it while I was um, while I was preparing for my game up in in Michigan. It, it, at the end, it's just a, it's, I, I don't know how you stop that kid. I mean, I just don't, and especially within the offense that they run because they're they're getting him the ball either out of the backfield or in the passing game with little bubble screens and the like in space. And if he gets some room, the cuts that he can make in the open field are just unbelievable. 
It cuts to the uh, speed, yeah, the speed after that. Yeah, and it's just incredible what he can do. And I, 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 with Trevor Lawrence pulling the trigger and Eddie End as a guy that is is a go to game breaker, and these other kids that have replaced the wide receivers, they all look pretty good too. So I, I think Clemson will have, I think they'll they'll pull away from A and M pretty substantially in the second half. I don't see that game being particularly as close as maybe others. Uh, would, would see it. Now, Texas LSU is a different story. That that game, to me, uh, is one that will take the winner and put that team... Uh, that, the winner of that game immediately propels into the conversation with Alabama and Clemson as can't-miss teams if they can just continue to hold serve. Uh, now, Texas will be challenged, obviously, when they play Oklahoma. They may be challenged again uh, in the Big 12 when they play Iowa State or TCU. Uh, because I think that league is better than people realize. But, uh, but, but Texas is the real deal. And playing in Austin, uh, from a defensive standpoint, I think will get them excited. But here's what a lot of people down uh, in Texas don't realize. What LSU did uh, the other night against the Georgia Southern team that won 10 games last year, that's, that's the kind of game that a few years ago LSU would have stumbled around, maybe won the game, you know, 24 to 10 or uh, 31 to 14 or 31 to 17. You know, they would not have put their foot on a jugular and rolled a team that they were physically better than. This is this is the new LSU offense that's running quick and allowing Joe Burrow to go out and be a difference maker. They're trying to win because of the quarterback, not despite the quarterback. And I think LSU can go into Austin and win the game. I think they're favored by three or four, and I like them to win it uh, by by more than a touchdown. I think LSU's uh, offense is really going to surprise a lot of people in this matchup. And I saw Texas a couple of times last year, and they're good defensively. They really are. Yeah. Uh, but where I think the problem will come for Texas is Sam Ellinger, who is a heck of a tough kid, a lot like Burrow in a lot of ways. I don't think he's as accurate a passer as Burrow is, and especially if you get pressure on him. Uh, Ellinger can be forced into mistakes, and he won't see the space, uh, Kay, between his receiver and the defensive backs that he's accustomed to seeing in the Big 12 against LSU's corners. They'll be yeah. a press man all night long, and, and I think Grant Delpit will make some big plays. So uh, that'll be a hell of an exciting game. It'll be close, but I think LSU will pull away and win. I think you're right, uh, Tim. Listen, I really, truly wish we had another uh, hour to go here. I apologize for keeping you on so long. <laughs> oh, I, I love it, Kay. You I, can have me anytime. I you do appreciate it. And would love to have you back uh, during the season, if that's Please okay, do. Tim. Give me a call anytime you like. All right. Thanks again. Okay, buddy. Bye-bye. Well, uh, Tim Brando, our guest here on uh, Talk Football with Coach K. Quick timeout, and we'll come back with more. You're listening to Talk Football with Coach K, ESPN Pensacola 1330, 99.1 FM. I'm attorney Stephen Luongo with Levin, Papantonio, Thomas, Mitchell, Rafferty, and Proctor in Pensacola, Florida. Distracted 